Hello, and welcome to Wellbeing. I'm Graham Wilson. There's one thing we can't do without. In fact, we die pretty quickly when we stop getting enough air through our nostrils or into our lungs. And today we're going to find out more about breathing, something you would think, well, we don't have to think much about that. We do it automatically. But my guest today is Dean O'Rourke, who works with the Atune Health Centres. He's a consultant breathing and orofacial therapist. Dean, thanks for coming in to talk to us. Pleasure to be here, Graeme. Now, you've wired me up with a breathing biofeedback system. monitor. Yes, I have. Uh, this is what uh, I routinely do with people that come and uh, see me for uh, um, issues with their breathing. So we uh, get a nice, clear picture of what's happening with their breathing pattern pre-therapy, and they're tested again post-therapy to show them what changes have been achieved. It's a very measurable process. Now, you get referrals from medical specialists, from GPs, from dentists and yep, orthodontists. Indeed. Psychologists. Yep. And a wide range of allied health professionals. Mm-hmm. Just explain what you do and how you came into doing what you do. Yeah, well, my story of how I got into it was I, uh, I got sick. Uh, I, was a, I did a uni degree here at Newcastle in health and phys ed and developed a severe case of hay fever. And uh, I was just getting sicker and sicker despite taking all the medication I was being given by um, my doctor. And uh, in absolute desperation, I just went looking for answers because I was getting worse over time. Uh, and in that journey of looking, uh, I came across functional breathing and uh, made some changes, both to that and a few other things, and cured myself, essentially. And it's changed the course of my life, changed my career. So it was hay fever? Yes, very severe hay fever all year round, uh, not just in spring. They tested my um, blood and my allergy readings were off the charts. Uh, I was using um, multiple medications, nasal sprays, and, and just getting worse and worse. And were you, uh, you trained as a... F- health phys ed. In, health yeah. phys ed, first yeah. of all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were already that. Yeah. And then you found this as a specialty because of your condition indeed yeah um it just uh i decided to train in a breathing method known as buteco um and it just sort of went from there that was over a decade ago and i've just continued um my learning journey since then and what i do now um it's changed a lot i've developed my own system for helping people become a functional breather and uh yeah i just love doing it now you say functional breather. Mm-hmm. There has to be dysfunctional breathing. In indeed, that indeed. What um, is that? I mean, it seems counterintuitive because yep. our body forces us to breathe. That's it. Breathing is, you know, it's an autonomic thing, but there is a right and wrong, wrong way to do it. And for all sorts of different reasons, people can develop breathing dysfunction, and when they do, trouble starts. Is it based on posture? You know, Posture's a part of it, absolutely. Only part posture, of it, though. Yeah, it's one of the keys, but it's, it's not the whole story, no. Okay. So what is dysfunctional breathing then? Can you? Yeah, essentially us- dysfunctional breathing uh, is breathing that um, doesn't um, occur according to your physiological design. We're physiologically designed to breathe from nose to diaphragm, um, where a lot of us develop um, mouth breathing habits, Um, and an upper thoracic or upper chest breathing habit uh, will come along with that. So they essentially shorten their breathing pattern up. That often leads to an increase in the speed of their breathing. And if they develop that uh, issue, and it's very, very common that people do, then you're into the dysfunctional uh, realm, and it's just how dysfunctional it gets. So it ranges from mild uh, through to severe uh, once people start to breathe in that manner. 
So what are some of the symptoms you start to see from people who aren't breathing correctly? Uh, basically, uh, dysfunctional breathing can lead to a whole host of different symptoms and medical conditions. So I, I've helped a lot of people with asthma, um, snoring, sleep apnea, uh, people who get recurrent respiratory infections like tonsillitis, uh, breathlessness, chronic blocked nose, anxiety, panic attacks. The reality is that breathing, everyone breathes and it can have far-reaching effects if it's not right. All right. Take us through what happens when we breathe. Yeah. What's happening physiologically? Yeah. Why does our body need air? Yeah. All right. So everyone knows that oxygen is obviously a key thing. We've got to supply oxygen to the cells of our body. So we need to breathe in air to get that oxygen. We take it into the lungs and it's transferred into the blood. The blood's job is to carry it around the body and release it to all the different tissues of the body, including our brain, but everywhere. Um, and that process uh, works very well if you're breathing with correct mechanics, with nose to diaphragm and slow breathing. Uh, if, you're, if you shorten it up and become a, a mouth, upper chest type breather, then that process is impaired. Oxygen is not released as efficiently from the blood. You still get it into your bloodstream fairly well, but it doesn't release efficiently. Uh, and the person can end up breathing more and more air, but uh, getting less oxygen. Uh, it's kind of counterintuitive, as you said. Um, we need to be breathing nose to diaphragm and slowly to be able to um, get the right delivery of oxygen. But the key gas uh, in it is actually carbon dioxide. Uh, a lot of people are low in carbon dioxide levels. And when they are, uh, that can lead to a lot of problems. How does that happen? Yeah, well, a lot of people think carbon dioxide is just a waste gas that yes. you breathe out, but yes. that's not correct. It's actually a, a really critical gas that needs to be in your body at the right concentration levels. And if it's not, then a lot of the things that I mentioned before, some of those medical conditions and various symptoms that people suffer, uh, carbon dioxide or a lack of it can play a key role in the problems that they're suffering. So you can breathe out too quickly and thereby not keep enough carbon dioxide in your system? Yeah, basically you can breathe off too much carbon dioxide, that's right. Um, you need to retain uh, around about 6 to 6.5% of your lung gas should be CO2, um, and a lot of people are below that. But what, uh, what I'd like to mention is that a couple of years ago, Dr Mark Russo uh, and Daniel Santarelli uh, and myself did a study, a research study, on what functional breathing is by looking at a whole range of different studies that have been done around the world. And we, uh, Dr. Russo came up with the term autonomic optimised respiration. So what I give people or help them get is, is AOR, and that is breathing between 6 to 10 breaths a minute at rest from nose to diaphragm as a constant habit. Um, that's the key. And the further you move away from that, from AOR, uh, the more health risks you will have. Now, something that we're doing all the time is if we're interacting with people, we're speaking, and yep. we often then will breathe through the mouth. Yes, that's correct. That's fine? Um, well, I don't do it. <laughs> I actually train people to nasal breathe when they speak. Um, virtually everyone does mouth breathe when they speak in, in this part of the world, unless they've come to me. So, yeah, when people are using their mouth to breathe when they're talking... Uh, you can breathe in more or less air. So you've got a lot of mouth breathers, but how the volume of air and how quickly they're drawing air in uh, will determine how problematic it is. But uh, to, to uh, eliminate that out of the equation and become a nasal breather is not a bad way to go. It's interesting the... Um 
the Netflix TV series, I don't know if you know of it, Stranger Things. Right. There's a girl in there who refers to a guy in the show as a mouth breather, <laughs> and she's using it as a disparaging yeah, kind of term. Yeah, it's, there's more and more um, interest in breathing now. It's getting more media attention, um, but there's still a lot of misinformation out there about it. And, uh, you know, we're very keen to, to get people the right information on breathing, on what functional breathing is mm. and what dysfunctional breathing is, and for them to understand that if they're not breathing correctly, it's going to affect their health and often gets worse as they get older uh, and the health risks go up accordingly. How do you determine that somebody isn't breathing correctly? Well, when they walk through my door, the first thing I'm doing is looking at what, what they're using to breathe. Are they breathing through their nose as a habit or are they breathing through their mouth? Uh, is their chest moving or is it sitting still because it should be sitting still mm-hmm. uh, when they're at rest? So I'm looking at their breathing mechanics. I'm looking at their postural habits. I'm looking at other uh, factors uh, in their facial uh, muscles and so on. So very quickly I, I determine whether or not they're on the dysfunctional spectrum. Uh, and then by using the biofeedback system that you're on at the moment, uh, I can get an even more detailed picture of what's going on with their breathing. So in that assessment, they, they get very good feedback on what's wrong and, and how to go about fixing it. Okay. Yeah. They may have symptoms when they come to you? Or oh, they all do. They all do. <laughs> yeah, okay. and I've got a, we use a very comprehensive uh, symptom form, so I get a very good record of what they're suffering prior to therapy. And then they fill out the same thing again after therapy to see uh, what, how much their symptoms have changed. So what are some of the symptoms you will see then as people come to you? Yeah, commonly, uh, well, the very, uh, you know, respiratory conditions are very common. So your asthma, your, your snoring, your sleep apneas, uh, blocked nose, breathlessness, people getting breathless very easily, um, being anxious and worked up and tense. Um, these things are very common symptoms that people are suffering. Now, the whole range of issues suggest themselves traditionally anyway. You know, yep. if you're short of breath, it could be you've got a heart condition. Yep, yep. Um, if you're snoring, you may or may not have a heart condition. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So how do you know which of those it is? Yeah, well, the way I look at it is um, regardless of whether they have a heart condition or not, they need to be breathing functionally. So if their breathing isn't functional, I know that we can fix it. And uh, then if they've got an issue with their heart, that's only going to help the situation. It's not going to hinder it. But I actually have uh, a cardiologist who's started referring patients to me because he's uh, recognised that there is a connection uh, between uh, breathing function and and the heart. What's the relationship between being fit Mm -hmm. and breathing That's a good question. Uh, Fitness and breathing are closely connected, but they're not the same thing. They're actually... Uh, you can still achieve fitness with with a breathing disorder, but it's going to limit your performance. And if you can get your breathing functional and highly functional, then you can achieve higher levels of fitness, there's no doubt about that. The best example I can give you of that uh, is a fellow called Roger Federer. Uh, Not a bad tennis player, Mm. 38 years old and still at the top of the tennis world. His breathing is pretty close to perfect. And that's one of the key reasons why he's still at the top of men's tennis. So he has a talent for breathing as well as tennis? Indeed. Yeah. His breathing is a critical factor that helps him all the time, it keeps him relaxed. Me, yeah, it sounds like you could give sporting people an advantage. Yeah, I've, I've had quite a few um, come to me, uh, various sports, uh, elite level, professionals, and every one of them, once they've had their breathing uh, optimised, uh, their performance goes up. 
I had a, a young elite swimmer come to me, uh, did some work with him for about four or five weeks, uh, and he uh, dropped two of his 100-metre times by three and a half seconds without changing his training at all. He just changed his breathing. Does it take long? No, it's a very quick process. Yeah, I can actually change someone's breathing within a week or so by a fair amount, but I prefer to do it slightly slower than that. Most of my clients see me once a week for four weeks. Now, a blocked nose, yep. um, surely that's physical, is it, or not? Well, it is, but the be- quickest way to block a nose is to breathe with your mouth. So a lot of clients come to me and they say, oh, I, I, I breathe with my mouth because my nose is blocked. And I say, no, your nose is blocked because you breathe with your mouth. They've got their cart before the horse. <laughs> yes. The reality is some people's noses block more easily, but um, there's, in over 10 years of clinical practice, there's only been one person that's come to me with a, a nose that I couldn't unblock and they required surgery in that case. Everyone else uh, that had severe blockage, they couldn't, you know, didn't believe that they'd be able to breathe with their nose and they were doing so very quickly. Is yeah. it true that one nostril is always slightly more blocked than the other and that can change it at ten- times? It does tend to happen. Virtually no one's got a textbook nose. That <laughs> Most people that come to me have some issue with their nose, but the reality is they can still learn to use it a whole lot more and a lot of nasal symptoms often disappear when you do. Uh, if you don't use your nose, you're going to lose it. Let's talk about snoring then yep. and, and then we'll get into sleep apnea yeah, as well. absolutely. But snoring... Um, I guess as people get older, we start to hear that um, the tissues are... Yeah, getting a bit wobbly. Yeah. <laughs> is that it or is there something more? Uh, to look, it? it's a multifactorial thing, snoring and sleep apnea as well. is multifactorial. But however, uh, what I have found is um, these people that are diagnosed with snoring and sleep apnea, say, from a sleep study, um, those conditions come under a, a heading called sleep disordered breathing. And that's sending the message that these people only have a breathing problem when they go to sleep. Mm -hmm. But what I've routinely found is all these people diagnosed with sleep disordered breathing actually just have disordered breathing. They're breathing badly when they're awake. Mm. And I've found that if you change the way they breathe when they're awake, you change their breathing habit whilst awake, it has a big impact on what's happening once they fall asleep. Breathing is automatic day and night. It's a 24-7 function. It's very closely connected. That begs the question, if it's automatic, how does training it help it? Like, you know, you learn to breathe correctly through the day and then you go to sleep. Yep. What's controlling your breathing then? Well, it's controlled at the the back of the the brain, at the top of the uh, spine there, the medulla is uh, involved, is the key thing controlling it. And you can reset what uh, the automatic pattern is. So it knows what normal is. When someone comes to me with a breathing disorder... The brain's quite happy to stay that way because that's normal for it. Uh, So what we have to do is teach it a new normal. We replace an old normal with a new normal and it's just sending constant messages to it over a period of time and then it readjusts what the normal breathing pattern is and you get a new breathing habit and you get it day and night. It's a 24-7 change. Unless you change it 24-7, you're going to get limited benefits. What are your tools of trade then, Dean? I mean, what methods do you employ to do that? Yeah, it varies from person to person um, and uh, you know, age, uh, you know, different circumstances, whether or not they've got um, uh, other physical issues. So my strategies change from person to person, but generally um, what I'm after in the end is the same thing. 
and that is to uh, get them breathing uh, less air, breathing more efficiently, breathing nose to diaphragm, uh, eliminating any mouth breathing habits, eliminating upper chest breathing at rest and developing that, that nose to diaphragm slow breathing. And it's just done through a variety of simple strategies. So I train them what to do and then they go home with an instruction sheet and carry out those instructions and provided they do so, their breathing changes. Do you have to teach people where their diaphragm is? Uh, yes, you do, but it's in the end, uh, it's you know, a lot of clients will ask me the whys of things. Why, why do we do this and what's the science? But in the end, all you need to do is follow the instructions and the breathing changes. It's a step-by-step process. I'm talking today to Dean O'Rourke, who is a consultant breathing and orofacial therapist with Atune Health Centres. What's an orofacial therapist? Orofacial therapy is relatively new in Australia. It's much more um, well-known in the US. But essentially what that is, is uh, your um, muscular habits of the facial area. Uh, I get a percentage of people who cannot physically lip seal and nasal breathe. They are not able to actually keep their lips together unless they force it. Mm. So I actually have to uh, help them overcome that problem. Uh, A lot of people have issues with their tongue. Um, The tongue becomes weak and uh, sitting in the floor of the mouth where it should be sitting in the roof of the mouth. So I um, assess those issues as well and when need be, give them uh, some, some exercises to do. Uh, that allows them to change their their muscular function in the, the, the mouth and face, and that uh, can help them a lot with their breathing, but it also plays a key role in orthodontics, and that's why I have um, the dentists uh, working with me. The tongue in the roof of the mouth, I would have yeah. thought the relaxed position would be in the floor. No, nah, it's in the roof, that's right, yeah. So... Um, it's very common, though, for people to have it sitting in the floor of the mouth because when your mouth breathes, it's got to drop down, mm. um, whereas when your nasal breathe, it comes up where it should be, uh, in the roof of the mouth. Do you do any work with people who speak and sing? Yes, I do. I've you worked do? with a few singers, resurrected the career of one. Uh, a lady came to me, and she was a semi-professional singer for many years, but her vocal cords were not cooperating any longer and she hadn't sung for five years. She came to me and within a few weeks she was back to singing again. So that was a good story. Breathing's a key to that. Indeed. Works well in the media. Exactly. (laughs) I actually have a radio announcer as a client at the moment. Dean, you mentioned earlier Buteyko. Yes. And I know this is named after a man. He was a Russian doctor Russian, back in okay. the 1950s. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. when he set it up. Yep. He, do you know much of his history? How he yeah, started yeah. He, he was a, a medical student and he had to do an assignment where he was uh, watching people in the, the final days of their life and he had to take note of what was happening to their breathing. And that's what he, when he became very interested in the connection between breathing and health. Uh, and he developed what became known as the Buteyko breathing method and operated that system for many, many years in the Soviet Union, Uh, and it was actually ratified by the Soviet medical system, I think, finally in the 1980s. They have a massive clinic in Moscow, um, so it's quite um, commonly used over there. But uh, around the rest of the world, Buteyko hasn't uh, been welcomed as a general rule by the, the medical community. Um, it is a fantastic therapy, but it has its limitations as well, like any therapy. It, so that's why I um, 
knew I had to learn more and, and to be able to help more people with more issues. You have a Buteco qualification? Yes, yeah, yes. As well. Yeah, it is an excellent therapy in and of itself. Um, but, yeah, um, I just wanted to continue the learning process and it forms the basis and the foundation of what I do, that's for sure. You've mentioned so many things that you can help people with, but yeah. how important is this that everybody understand what they're doing with their breath? Uh, well, put it this way. If you collapsed on the ground now, Graham, what's the first thing I've got to check? My air passage. That's right. I'm yeah. checking your airway, checking your breathing. Uh, would I try and feed you? <laughs> would I say get up and go for a run? That'll make you feel better. True. Yeah. I'm checking your breathing. Mm. Um, and, and if you ask the average person what's the two most important things for the health... They'd probably say diet and exercise. Mm. But the reality is those two things don't come anywhere near breathing for importance because you're breathing all day mm. and all night and it's affecting you every breath you take. So if it's dysfunctional, it's affecting you every breath you take. Uh, that's why it's so important that it should be checked and it should be uh, as close to optimal function as possible because it has far-reaching effects for your health day to day. Most people think... It's, I must be breathing well because I'm alive. It's about life or death. But what they need to understand is that breathing is critical to your day-to-day health and your quality of life. Uh, and it should be one of the first things checked on everybody. And if it's not right, it's a, a very easy fix if you know where to go to get help. My panel operator here, Gabe, he's wearing an Apple Watch. And we were talking about this interview yep. prior to coming in here. Yeah. And his watch was telling him to breathe. Yeah. So it's got some sensors that have sensed a lack of movement or heart rate or something. Yep. And so we had a look at what it does. I don't think Gabe uses it all that often, that particular feature. I mean, the, the watch yep. is telling him so many other yep. things. Yep. But if you say, all right, run that little app, it'll say be still and bring your attention to your breath. Yeah. Then inhale and exhale. So it just walks you through some measured breaths. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is that basically what you're doing? That's the starting point, I guess. Well, the the bottom line is you need to be breathing in a relaxed manner, in in a slow and relaxed manner as a habit, and a lot of people don't. Um, It needs to be nose to diaphragm, as I said, uh, and the in-breath should be slow and gentle and minimal, uh, and the out-breath the same, even more relaxed, even more uh, calm, and if you're breathing in that manner as a habit, uh, then you're going to be better off. If your breathing starts to increase in speed um, or you're not instigating the diaphragm, then you're going to start to have issues. What you're going to do is when you start to breathe in that manner, you start to move into dysfunction, you start to switch on the adrenals more. You go into the fight or flight mode more or the sympathetic nervous system more. What we want is to get the breathing optimal so that the person is parasympathetic in a relaxed state uh, and that the sympathetic nervous system only switches on when needed uh, for emergency situations such. Just explain parasympathetic. Yeah, the parasympathetic is your relaxant system. It's uh, often referred to as rest and digest. It's when your physiology is essentially relaxed and heart rate variability is increased when you're in a parasympathetic state. And um, when you go into a sympathetic state, when the adrenals switch on uh, and the fight-or-flight system kicks in, that system was designed for us to protect ourselves. It's for survival, and it's only meant to be dominant for short periods, and then you should relax again. But if your breathing's dysfunctional, 
you'll get yourself stuck in that sympathetic fight or flight mode more and more and that's what is very damaging to your health uh, and it needs to be corrected so that the person can move back into the parasympathetic system, the relaxant system. Is there a different way to breathe when you're really active and when you're relaxed, say seated at a desk? Yeah, well, if you're breathing functionally when you're at rest, you're far more likely to breathe functionally when you're active. If your breathing's not functional when you're at rest, what chance has it got of being functional when you're active? So the first thing I do when someone comes to me, including elite athletes, is I make sure they're breathing correctly all the time when they're not training and when they're not playing. But that forms a foundation, and then I use uh, specific uh, strategies to get their breathing more efficient under load as well. But the foundation of it is how they're breathing all the time. You hear the expression, take some deep breaths. Yep. Is that good advice? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, deep deep is, has different connotations for different people. Uh, so you say deep to 100 people and they'll probably think different things. It can be fill your chest. That's like right. Lift your chest, exactly. Um, not- so I actually don't use the word deep. Um, I, what I want people to do is to breathe functionally, minimally. Yes, the diaphragm is doing the work. Uh, the thoracic or the accessory muscles are not. You're doing it uh, with the nose, not the mouth. That's the key things. Um, that's what relaxes the body, breathing less, not breathing more. Well, as uh, you've been talking to me this whole time I've had on this breathing well biofeedback monitor, Yep. normally I will breathe with my mouth closed. Yep. Um, I've been conscious, obviously, of... Um, I know you've been watching my chest a couple of times. <laughs> um, I'm not seated very well, I don't think. I'm slouched ever so slightly. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, posture does play a role. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, do I get a score or...? Well, what I've, what I've found, discovered for you is that your breathing speed whilst we've been uh, in this conversation was 15.6 breaths a minute. That's um, more than it should be. Yeah, when you're talking, it will increase the speed to some degree. But um, I, I certainly would want to get your breathing speed down into that sort of 6 to 10 range mm. um, as, a, as a permanent habit. And there's a lot of people who are not in that range and there's a lot of people who, um, yeah, the mechanics of how they're breathing uh, is not helping them moment by moment. Does it also measure the efficiency, the oxygen level or anything it's, like that? What it's measuring as well is whether there's any disruptions in the pattern. So a lot of people have disruptions in their pattern. They'll, have, uh, they'll take big breaths every now and then or they'll stop breathing. Lots of people have apnea mm-hmm. when, they're, when they're awake, not just when they're asleep. They'll actually stop breathing a lot throughout the day. So it's looking for that. It's looking for those sorts of breathing disruptions. It can show me how, uh, how well the diaphragm is engaging. But the other thing is measuring, a key thing it's measuring is their carbon dioxide levels. And at the moment, your CO2 levels are close to where they need to be, but not quite based on our measurements. The other thing I do test on people is their oxygen saturation and their resting pulse. And we're about to introduce heart rate variability testing as well which is a very key indicator of whether or not you're parasympathetic or sympathetic. Uh, And there's a lot of research backing that. So we're going to start using that uh, as a measurement tool very soon as well. One last thing. You you see people sometimes take the little involuntary breaths and gasps. Exactly. Very common. I think um, a lot of people, if they've suffered from uh, anxiety or stress over the years, develop ways of trying to cope. So they'll try and take that you know, that bigger breath, that deeper breath, 
Um, and you know, I think uh, it's just a, a process that occurs over time. So a lot of people do develop these sorts of disruptions and little moments in their breathing that, that stop it from being stable and relaxed. You want to have a breathing pattern that's just gently rolling. Uh, you don't want disruptions in it like that, but I come across them all the time and very often in people that are quite young. You don't have to be uh, old to, to develop them. You can teach this method to children? Yeah, I've worked successfully from 4 to 88. And I've found that with even toddlers, um, what I do in that situation is I'll help the parents change their breathing. And that has a big impact on their young child because that's where they learn it. Mm. So I I find that breathing dysfunction often runs in families, which I suppose, suppose is not a surprise to anyone. Children mimic what their significant adults do. Exactly right. Yeah. Well, it's been fascinating. A breath of fresh air on the program. (laughs) Thanks, Dean. And that's not putting down any other guest. (laughs) Thanks anyway, Dean. Thanks for coming in today. Yeah, thanks very much, Graham. It's an absolute pleasure. I've been speaking to Dean O'Rourke, who is a consultant, breathing and orofacial therapist, working with Atune Health Centres on uh, the Central Coast and in Newcastle here in New South Wales. I'm Graham Wilson. Thanks for listening. And all of us at Wellbeing wish you well.